Hey, welcome to Every Night's a School Night. Every Night's a Chinese Democracy. Still haven't done this fabled July Every Night's a School Night episode. It's still coming. It's still going to come one of these days. If it comes in August, it's still going to be called the July episode, though. That way I can kind of skate around. I can get very loose with my definitions of things so that I'm not a liar. I'm going to get loose with my definitions so I'm not a liar and a hypocrite. I'm going to find a way around that cognitive dissonance. Although cognitive dissonance is important. Cognitive dissonance to me is how you actually create new ideas through whatever compromise. It's almost like a form of alchemy. Because you think about, you know, oh, alchemy is a pseudoscience because they were never able to turn rocks into gold or whatever people want to say. It's been proven. It never worked. It never worked. Uh, But, you know, alchemy is a much... You know, I feel like it's a much broader process than that. And uh, to me, taking two opposing ideas and seeing what they create by bringing them together is a form of alchemy, too. And I feel like we do that and have always done that and always will do that to actually create or build on ideas. Not that I believe ever, you know, you can actually come up with a completely new idea. You know, I'm reminded of Alan Watts and what he said about people who feel like the universe sucks or they feel like the world isn't ideal and they have a better idea of how it should be run or how it should work. And, you know, I'm probably butchering the way he said it because he has had a certain eloquence to just about everything he said. Uh, But basically, he said people who, you know, are, are depressed and anxious and think the universe you know, doesn't have our best interest in mind, and they feel like the universe could be better. If you were to ask them what that better universe, what that superior universe would look like, they invariably would end up creating something that is pretty much what we already have. Because, you know, just, and he doesn't say this, but this was my own interpretation of what Alan Watts said, because it's a pretty, like, you know, it's a pretty general statement. Oh, you know, someone who doesn't like the way things are, if you were to ask them to, you know, make a better version, they would basically make what we already have. And I think what he's saying is those people's points of reference are all within this universe, both good and bad. So, you know, in trying to rearrange things, all you would really be doing is rearranging the furniture. Uh, In building a better universe, you would just be kind of mixing and matching things here and there. And it's similar to what people do when they try too hard to come up with a new idea. And I think you can see this in music where you'll see someone who's like, you know, I really want to be original. I really want to, you know, just, you know, make a name for myself. Uh, So what can I do? What can I do with the, you know, I don't want to just, you know, try to be the next Nirvana. Oh, I can combine uh, free jazz with death metal and uh, just combine them, and it'll be like a total fucking mess, and it'll sound like shit, but it's an original idea, and I can just stick to it. You know, it's like that sort of thinking where you just end up creating shitty music, you know, because you're, you're trying to create this hybrid of things that, you know, if they're going to come together and work, they need to come together naturally. And so I feel like people try to do that creatively, where it's like, I'm just going to mix and match. I'm basically going to collage everything. Uh, because that's what we try to do when we think... When we think we know what we're doing, ultimately what we are doing is just rearranging and like displacing things and moving things around here and there and sticking these things together, but they're not really truly fitting together. We're just kind of forcing them. And so that's what someone would be doing if they tried to, you know, just completely, you know, redo the universe. It would basically just be like, oh, you know, so you thought if you moved the chair over there, it would cut down on all the suffering and all the, all the hunger. Okay. Why did you move the chair? You know, it's like, it it doesn't really follow any kind of clear logic. Uh, But, uh, you know, I've been thinking lately, I don't know if this is a tie-in or not, but I've been thinking lately about when people have some sort of agenda, or not even just when people have an agenda, but when an agenda is very apparent in some form of media or something that you are observing. And I think a great great example of that is in movies, on TV, You know, I think a great example is just TV commercials themselves. Like, I'm somebody who just fundamentally refuses to laugh at a TV commercial because I know it's a TV commercial trying to sell me something, and that humor is just like a a tool to try to, like, get me in to buy this thing. They're not in it just to make people laugh. And I wonder sometimes when that became a thing. Like, when did it become a thing for 
commercials, not just to present the item, but to try to use this just goofy, just annoying. You kind of really only experience it when you're watching TV. You don't really see the sort of TV commercial humor elsewhere. It's like a very particular like tone to it. And I wonder like when that became a thing, because it seems obvious that like, oh, at some point in, in history, someone thought, oh, I can sell this item if I make someone laugh or somehow appeal to some other sense, if I make them feel good. Uh, or do something to catch their attention, that will help sell my product. So I can see where where the idea came from, but I do wonder like when it became pretty much the standard. Like outside of like medication for the elderly, you know, there are very few commercials that don't try to play into that sort of humor, that just stupid humor, and it's deliberately, you know, it's deliberately stupid humor. But and and when a commercial does come up with like you know something fairly original, something that will you know, make even cynical TV watchers smile or laugh or whatever, it then gets beaten to death. It becomes the new normal, and the new normal is awful. You know, there's a reason why when something becomes the new normal, why people are bored by it. Uh, So, you know, if there is any kind of original humor or content to television commercials, it dies very quickly. We got something that works, guys. Let's just double down on it. Let's just double down. That's kind of the mentality. Let's just double down. People laughed at that uh, caveman commercial, so let's just double down. Let's do 10 of them. Let's do 10. Um, but yeah, if I know something is a commercial, I just fundamentally can't laugh. And I don't know if that's mature or immature or if those words don't even apply because a part of me feels immature by having this stance where it's like, even if it's funny, I'm not going to laugh at a TV commercial. And I was actually just talking to a friend about this because years back – a friend of mine were hanging out with like one of her friends at a bar and like that fr- we were talking about stuff and that friend was like have you seen these videos of blah 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 and we were like no and she's like they're the seriously the funniest videos ever and like we were like wow how, how have I never heard of this and she like she lived nearby so she was like let's go up to my apartment and let's watch these videos and so we went up there and she showed us these videos and like my friend turns to me and she goes aren't these commercials and this girl was actually showing us TV commercials. She must have like pre-recorded them or they were somehow on demand. They were actually like television commercials for what I vaguely recall was like a rental call car service. And I feel like there was like a joke about a guy who's like in the back seat when they rent the car and there was a series of commercials that were about this. And like she had like these to her were like the funny like to the point where she actually invited us over to watch these and like in that moment, it was like I, I felt no, like it's not like I'm looking down on her for being into that. It was just so honest to God surprising that this person would actually like not just laugh at a commercial, not just enjoy a commercial, but present TV commercials to her friends, you know, and be like, this is the funniest shit. This commercial is the fun, you know, and maybe people used to be more like that. Like I imagine when commercials were new or when like humor in commercials was new, it probably was something to talk about. Like, and, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, commercials that I even knew about that were before my time that my parents would even reference. Like my dad had an inside joke, like, where's the beef? There was that commercial. And he used to say that about a bunch of stuff. It was just, where's the beef? Which is kind of funny, you know? Just saying that in any context, like, where's the beef? Uh, I, I like that one. Uh, so maybe I would have been really into commercials in an earlier generation. But it's like, for the most part, I do have this kind of, I would consider it almost like a moral opposition to like enjoying I know what you're trying to do I know what your agenda is even if you are even if you're somehow able to make me laugh with your television commercial you know I still I'm gonna do it you know with my teeth closed you know and my mouth zipped up literally zipped up I'm gonna wear a mask when I before I laugh at a commercial Uh, I laugh at commercials but I wear my I wear a mask before I do it hey honey uh, have you seen my uh, commercial mask tell the family friends about that at the dinner table well you know like a bunch of couples are sitting around a dinner table and you know it's at a dinner party and one lady's like oh well i let harold pull my hair when we have sex and everyone's like oh and then another lady's like yeah like uh you know i i like having my ear licked Ooh, and then the other lady's like well you know, Harold has like a, a very special mask that he wears when he watches television commercials so that nobody can see him laugh. And everybody's just like, 
<sighs> that's that's my idea. I'll only go to a dinner party if that's the kind of shit people talk about. My commercial watch and mask. Hey, Sonny boy. Uh, you know when when Dad comes home from work, he likes to sit down in his big comfy chair, and he likes to wear his commercial watch and mask. And there's nothing perverted about it. Um. <laughs> I like that story. I like that story. Um, but uh, it's, yeah, when I know that something has an agenda, it's very hard for me to just objectively like it. And of course, everything has an agenda. If you want to be like a 14 year old rebel about it, you can be like, everything has an agenda. And to some degree, that's true. Everything at least has the agenda of like wanting to be good. Or if like, if something is tr- like you, every once in a while, someone will make a movie where it's, it's supposed to be bad. Uh, this is one of those horror movies and it's, it's supposed to be bad. It's campy. Uh, even then, they're trying. They have an agenda. They want to make a campy, bad horror movie, or they want to do something. Everyone has some kind of agenda, so you can be very juvenile about it and be like, everything does. But there are some times where the agenda is just so obvious, and I think that's in commercials, where it's like, you're trying to get me to buy something that I probably don't want, and you're making me wait. Like, I want to watch the rest of my TV show, and you're making me like wait longer and watch this, and you're trying to trick me by making me laugh so that I'll buy this product. You know, when really I just want to watch, you know, Happy Days. But it's the same for not just commercials, not just blatant advertisements, but I feel like it's the same way when Hollywood makes certain decisions, you know. I feel like it's, you know, I heard recently about, like, and I don't know if this is even true, you know, I haven't even, like, looked this up or whatever, but it's I've heard it enough, enough times recently to where I believe it's true. I've heard enough people mention it. that The next James Bond is going to be a black woman. And, like, I've got no dog in that race where, like, I don't think it's... I have no problem with them doing whatever the fuck they want with James Bond, first of all. Like, I don't have any, like... I grew up, I watched those movies growing up. I loved GoldenEye when it came out. I loved the video game GoldenEye. I have a certain nostalgia for James Bond, but I honestly, I haven't seen the last few movies. Like, I haven't seen the last few James Bond movies, so why could I possibly give a shit about what they do with the character? Like, I, I have no dog in that race. That said, it's like when I when I heard, like, oh, it's it's going to be a black woman, I'm like, oh, you guys just, that's 10,000 votes for that guy that you don't want to be president right there. And it's not about right or wrong. It's not about whether it's right or wrong that people re- respond that way. It's that people can sense that agenda, and they get that sort of, like, math book, Burger King Kids Club feeling where they're like, okay, like, you know, you're trying to, like, represent diversity. You're trying to, like, change the game up. But I also know what you're trying to do. And that kind of makes me feel a level of detachment from it that I wouldn't normally feel should you, you know, n- you know, not make a decision like that. And you could say, oh, well, like, who's to say they have an agenda? Who's to say they're forcing some sort of diverse you know, diversity agenda by casting a a black female. Maybe they simply thought that was the best story. And I will always support someone who thinks that something or another makes for the best story. I've really realized that lately. I've really realized. I've realized. I've really, really realized. That makes you sound really serious when you say really. Really? And you spell it R-I-L-L-Y. Really? Um... But uh, I've realized lately there's the importance of, you know, storytelling and how that should be central and how characters and setting. And I'm not some writer. I'm not some I just I've just know I'm a fan. And as a fan, these are my observations. These are the things that I notice as a fan of lots of things. It's that, you know, it's clear when someone really puts the story first and characters and settings. And that kind of goes against the way I used to think where I'm like, oh, a setting is everything. You you make the setting and then the story will... And that's true to some degree. Like the story will make itself in a good setting. And I, I don't know why I'm getting into this again. I know I talked about this last episode. But let me just say that like I really appreciate a good story and any decision that is made to enhance that story. Uh, and when I hear about things like these casting decisions, I think, you know, is this really about the story or is it about, you know trying to make a statement because the difference between this and let's let's use another example I was talking to somebody about this uh, where the movie Predator came out it stars Ar- Arnold Schwarzenegger 
It's extremely popular. It's you know one of the best action movies ever. It's actually technically sci-fi as well. So it's this sci-fi action movie. It's an absolute classic. I would say could easily be the best action movie ever, you know, pound for pound. Uh, if we need to get that way about it, if we need to go, it's the best. Always got to have a, say things are the best. It's the, it's, the, it's the best by the action movie, uh, you know, by the system of determining. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, let's just say it's a really fucking good action movie. Uh, and the second one came out some years later and Arnold Schwarzenegger was, you know, replaced by Danny Glover. He's not playing Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, but he's the lead man. And he was replaced by Danny Glover, who already had experience with Lethal Weapon and action movies. He was known, not quite as famous as Arnold Schwarzenegger. But I remember seeing that as a kid, and I didn't feel like there was any agenda. You know, I didn't think, oh, great. They're casting Predator with a black guy. Oh, great. Now it stars a black guy. Look at this. Oh, you know, like, it's not like that. I don't know that anybody reacted that way. I think it made complete sense. I think pr- the first Predator movie is the better movie. It's the first one. You know, it's it's the story of Predator. You know, there's a reason why that came out first and created the whole brand, you know, that created all of everything to come afterward. But that said, like, Predator 2, is, it's, for what it is, it's a good movie. It's not as good as number one, but it's a good follow-up. Like, considering how bad some action movie sequels are, Predator's really fucking good. And I've never heard someone think, oh, you know, that lefty propaganda Predator 2 cast in a black guy instead of a a German, Austrian, whatever Arnold is. You know, I don't think anybody ever thought that because it was natural. It was a natural decision. And Danny Glover was, you know, the right fit. Uh, But... you know, when you have these other movies that are coming out where it seems to be more of a statement. And I do question, you know, that response. You know, when I feel like an agenda is being kind of forced, I do question whether or not I'm just imagining it or not. And it helps that I don't really care enough to see any of these movies. So I'm just kind of absorbing this through some cultural osmosis. And I am interested in the conversations, even though they're very heated and very petty, because there are idiots out there who, you know, just don't want to see like a black main character ever, you know, they just don't think that's right. But then there's people on the other side who, you know, feel like there's this need to push something or to overcompensate. And I see a lot of both going on. And unfortunately, they're participating in the same game. And I talked about this around the 4th of July when I saw the people with the big flags. Uh, And I was like, you know, it sucks that they're playing, like there's two people playing the same game where it's like there's the guys with the big flags who want to piss people off who get pissed off at flags. Like those guys with the giant flags are actually hoping that they piss off the people who get pissed off at flags because the people who get pissed off at flags, you know, need big flags in order to get pissed off. And it's like this circle where it's just like these people are just at it to like agitate each other. And it's... You know, it's just ugly. And I I feel like you see the same thing play out in Hollywood and in movies. And I would say, you know, people who are making movies should just be, you know, they should just ask themselves, like, am I doing this because I'm interested in telling a certain story versus let's shake things up. Let's just mix and match. Let's let's recreate the universe. But we're going to do that by just let's cast someone who looks different. You know, and that's going to, like, make the social changes happen that we want to see happen. And it's, you know, it, it ends up having the opposite effect. And I'm not saying that's right. I don't believe it's right that, you know, someone's going to see, like, oh, they, they made J- James Bond a black female. So I'm going to vote for uh, the guy who hates black females. I don't know that that's a candidate, but I'm just I'm giving an example of something like that pushing someone in another direction. You might say, well, that's the person with the problem, and that's the person we're actually targeting by creating these movies. And it's like, I get that, but this is what happened before, this doubling down, where it's like, we didn't get the desired result that we wanted from the sort of activities and behavior that we were engaging in. And so instead of recognizing that and maybe you know, dialing back on the stuff that wasn't working and reassessing ways in which maybe we can make other things work. We're just going to double down on exactly what we were doing. And that's really what we've seen the last few years. And it's been eye-opening to me, not because, you know, nothing politically has surprised me, but it's been surprising to me, like, how 
poor how poorly that like that strategy has worked like the strategy of like you know let's uh you know let, let let's uh change this character let's change the gender of that character let's make sure that we meet a certain quota you know that doesn't work in terms of storytelling and i think there's a reason why i think there's a reason why things like television and movies you know, granted, there's still these major industries, but I think there's a reason why they have less credibility today. And part of it's because we have so much more. We have so much more, like, user-generated content. We have so many more things we can read and look at on computers and phones. Things are less of an event. You know, the family doesn't stay home to watch, like, the premiere new season episode of, you know, Happy Days like they did. Like, they didn't stay up to watch, like, American Bandstand together. You know, there's... Things aren't based around like this event that you have to be there for. And it's the same thing for when a movie comes out and it's like, you know, you know, do people really like line up to the extent that they used to, like where it was like this just major event or people are like, oh, you know, I can get that on my TV. I can download that illegally. You know, I can get that. I can stream that. You know, it's it's not as much of an event to go to a movie. So in some sense, I, I do think that things like movies and television are dying. And I think that's especially true when it comes to television and here I am talking about like just this this industry that generates just billions of dollars and I'm like it's a dying industry but I do think when it as far as like you know the momentum the zeitgeist whatever you want to call it I feel like television and movies are definitely in the wake they're definitely kind of in the on the tail of whatever's at the front you know and I feel like part of that though is that people can pick up on this agenda in media. They can pick up on this agenda in film and in, in television shows, and they can kind of tell what people are going for. And that takes people out of it. At the very least, whether you agree or you disagree with whatever message is being presented, it takes you out of the story. And it's why we like to watch stories that are you know, not necessarily happy, not necessarily good, whether they're historical or whether they're you know, complete fiction. We like to see horrible things happen. We like to see struggle. We like to see ups and downs. We're not watching movies to see an ideal world. We're watching them to see a story and, and to have some level of immersion in that story. And when you know that a movie was made just to disrupt some kind of pattern in the history of that story or that character, it does kind of take you out. I mean, it's not entirely different from seeing a familiar actor who you associate with something else, and that removes you. Uh, you know, last episode I was talking about I've only seen like one Harry Potter movie, and I saw one of the Fantastic Beast movies. Again, my quote of the day, I don't have a dog in the race. I'm not going to watch uh, Fantastic Beasts and be like, well, I, I really didn't like how, um, you know, they, they uh, changed the Harry Potter world. Because, you know, I had this certain vision of it in my head. I had this vision of the Harry Potter world from reading the books. You see, I'm a big J.K. Rowling fan. And the, the, a movie like Fantastic Beasts just fucking ruined it. You know, it's not like I have any perspective whatsoever or I just want to be told like a decent story. And I watched that Fantastic Beasts movie when it came out. I actually did see that in the theater. So much for a dying industry. Looks like you go see movies in the theater yourself, sir. You went and saw Fantastic Beasts, whatever year that came out. Calling my bluff. That hypothetical lady, <laughs> who, who, that New Jersey mom who knows when I'm lying. Uh, but no, I saw Fantastic Beasts, and like at the end, it's revealed that like there's this bad guy throughout the entire movie, and he, he's played by an actor I don't know or I don't associate with anything. And at the very end, it's revealed that he actually is Johnny Depp. No joke. You find out at the end that he's Johnny Depp is some other character, and he was like wearing like it's since there's magic in Harry Potter, obviously. Uh, he was able to like make him give himself a different face. He was able to wear that commercial watching mask. It's weird. There's a guy in Fantastic Beasts, and he wears a mask when he watches TV commercials, so nobody hears him laugh. But I got the idea myself first. I came up with it myself. Fantastic Beasts ripped me off. No, but there's a guy, and he has like a certain face throughout the entire movie, and at the end, it reveals that he was secretly this other guy all along, Scooby Doo style. And it's Johnny Depp, but of course he has like bleached hair, shaved on the sides, and some horrible like just gross haircut. And like, 
just, you know, everything that you associate with like the modern Johnny Depp. And just immediately I was like, I actually enjoyed that mu- that uh, that movie. I, I really genuinely enjoyed watching it. And I was like, this is something I don't care about. And it's just fun. And I'm actually just enjoying this spectacle of this Fantastic Beasts movie. And then at the end, it reveals Johnny Depp. And I was just like, oh, my rating of this movie just tanked. It took me out completely. And even my entire memory of that movie, I wouldn't even be able to tell you anything that happens in that movie up until the point that it reveals Johnny Depp's face because that's all I remember. It took the entire movie away. And that's what I feel like, you know, it's like if you're watching like that girl showing us these videos and she's like these are really funny videos and then like within a few seconds just picking up on that commercial tone and then a couple seconds later it's revealed blatantly that it's a commercial and I'm just like it's basically like Johnny Depp's face you know it's like a you know (sighs) it's just that sort of feeling and it's like when I know someone's trying to do something when it's like you're you have some some sort of message or statement you're trying to make and sometimes maybe that's important you know I mean there have been a lot of movies throughout history that people could say have made for positive social changes or you know or maybe you were, if someone could turn this around on me and be like oh well maybe you would have felt like b- baseball is a white man's sport and Jackie Robinson never should have played I don't feel that way at all because, you know, sports, what makes sense is having the best athletes play. But I feel like when you get into storytelling, it's just, it's something a little different. And I, you know, don't think that stories need, I don't know, I don't, I don't have like some, uh, I don't have some like set of rules for like what you should or shouldn't do in a movie or what you should or shouldn't do in a book. Uh, but to me, it's like, I want you to depict something that I can immerse myself in. And when I know you're doing something for socio-political reasons, I'm just not in. And I'm also probably not your target audience. But I think if you are trying to make political statements and you are trying to turn the tide and you are trying to, you know, like uh, promote, you know, an empathy for other people who are different from you or whatever it is you're trying to communicate or you're trying to communicate that people who look and live lives that are differently than yours can... I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, what the actual message is. I just know that it, it's the same thing I talked about a couple episodes ago, where as kids, we would get our math book or our history book, and we would look at the cover, and you'd see like the group of kids where a kid, you know, of just each general ethnic background was depicted, and there'd be a girl as well and a kid in a wheelchair. And it wasn't that any of us like were upset about it. It wasn't like we were like, how dare they? It was just we knew what they were trying to communicate, and it was sort of a weird feeling. It was sort of like, huh, you know, they're really trying to promote that. And, uh, you know, it, it, it makes me feel like maybe like math isn't the point. I don't know. I don't know what I thought. Um, it seemed to be trying to communicate something more than just this is a math book is all. And like I said, it was not like I was offended. I was like, how dare they have like a a diverse group of kids all like trying to solve math problems together. That sounds like a very unifying activity, to be honest. Like if, if you really wanted races to get along, you could probably be like, here's an equation. Why don't you hang out and figure it out? It seems like a good way for people to work together. (laughs) Maybe that's what the math books were trying to promote. Uh, But it's just, it's weird. Uh, It's weird to see this stuff play out. And I just, I point it out too, just because like, there's people I care about who want to see a certain world around them. And they feel like the way to get there is to like hammer on these same notes over and over again because there's this idea that fighting and you know just clawing your way is the only way to do it or it is a way to do it and if you don't fight you don't get what you want you don't get the outcome you want uh and you know i think that's probably true in certain circumstances there are times where people really need to make a stand uh but like i was saying it's like people didn't seem to have a problem with black characters as much you know at least the in the mainstream people didn't have a problem with black characters black superheroes i mean you think about the movie spawn the comic book spawn rather but it, they made a movie as well that was not very good 
but Spawn was a hot property for a time. It was like the anti-hero new form of superhero where he's dark and he's moody and this. And he was also black. You know, the Spawn character, he was a guy who worked as a government assassin. He was a black guy and he was betrayed by the government and killed. And he comes back as this like minion of hell who's trying to, you know, live with that. It's a very 90s, you know, story. But it's it was good. You know, it still is. I read the first number of episodes a couple of I keep talking in terms of episodes and stuff. I'm talking comics here. Uh, I read the like the first like 20 issues again a couple of years ago, and I found it it was really good. You know, for its time, you know, it's it's a comic book. You can't get away from the fact that it was a comic book, and it was still appealing to you know readers of superhero comics. But it was really doing something different, and it had a black character, and I felt like that just added to it. it had a lot of black characters. His wife was black. Uh, his child, obviously, and uh, his wife had remarried to his best friend who was also a black guy so the you know the core main characters in spawn were black and people didn't question that like as a kid i didn't feel like any kind of agenda was being hammered home i didn't feel like todd mcfarlane did that you know to kind of force really any agenda and as a result it was very organic and it fit with the story very well and maybe he did try to make a statement. You know, maybe there was an element of like, you know what I could do to be different? You know, Spider-Man, who I used to draw, because Todd McFarlane had drawn Spider-Man previously and worked for Marvel. And it's like, well, there's, there are all these white characters in that. So let's, let's make this guy black just for something different. But it didn't seem like he was trying to say, accept this black superhero. You know, it was actually, and it helps that the story itself was actually very interesting. Uh, but it's like when you saw like Black Panther come out and stuff, and it's like, oh, here's this movie. People obviously like it. But then you start to hear people going like, it should be best picture. Like I actually heard people saying that, and I didn't see it. I can't tell you anything about it. But it's like, you know, there isn't much of a precedent for superhero movies being best picture. So in saying it should be best picture, as if any of that shit matters, it's almost like feels like you got a little bit of something you're trying to prove, you know, in you know, speaking out that way. It's like, do you normally, like, suggest... Do you normally get very passionate about what movies should be best picture? I know people do. I know there's a lot of people who are very serious about that. But I just noticed this whole push for, like, Black Panther to be best picture. And I don't know what that was. Maybe I just happened to see some little strain, you know, of, of thought that a certain group of people had. And, you know, maybe maybe that wasn't a representation of you know, all people on the left or any of that. But then it's like it ends up in this game where then on the right wing you have people who are opposing something just because the left supports it or just because it has a black character. And that's not something I support at all either. It's that reactionary, like pretty much the traditional definition of reactionary is that sort of like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I mean, the word reactionary speaks for itself. But there is that kind of conservative reactionary, the traditional conservative reactionary who it's like, every time you try to push ahead, I'm just going to put my foot down and stand up for the way things are. You know, it's like that sort of attitude, which is disgusting to me as well. There's no, it's a no win here for me, really. That's that's kind of what I'm getting at. It's a no win because by saying that you know I don't support movies that, or or decisions that have this clear agenda, I'm inserting myself into this conversation where it seems like I I don't feel like people should be allowed to cast a black lead in in a old franchise that typically stars white British men you know, who sip martinis and seduce, you know, models, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's like, I, I don't have any real opinion. And you could honestly drag James Bond completely through the mud if you want, if you wanted, and I wouldn't care, you could completely like, just do whatever you wanted with that character. And, and I would have, you know, you could honestly, you can make James Bond, you know, crash a plane into like the monument of the World Trade Center. You know, and I wouldn't be like, oh, how dare you? How dare you do that with Bond? You know, I'll never play, I'll never be able to play Goldeneye again. Next time I play Goldeneye, I'm just going to have to be odd job every time. You know, I'll never be able to, I'll never be able to like think of myself as a likeness of Pierce Brosnan again. No, but you could really do anything with that character. You could cast whoever, you could have him, him or her do whatever 
terrible action you want. You could turn James Bond into some kind of like terrorist and I wouldn't care. So it has nothing to do with any investment in James Bond or a feeling one way or another. It's just knowing that there is a, you know, sort of this strategy and then seeing how that strategy is backfiring is the other part because Hollywood tends to support Democrats. Hollywood is obviously very opposed to the current president. And I know they very much want to win, but it almost makes me feel like there's some deeper conspiracy theory where it's like, oh, I feel like there's somebody pulling the strings even behind the person who seems like they're pulling the strings. Because we think, oh, someone in Hollywood is pulling the strings to like make these movies that have this clear like progressive agenda. And it's like, well, that seems to be backfiring and has actually led us into our current position because people are getting sick of feeling like they're basically watching a commercial for some idea that they may or may not agree with. And it doesn't actually matter whether or not they agree with it because it's the simple fact that they know that you're pushing it on them makes them push it away. Uh, but, you know, it's it's not even about uh, – what, what I was saying, though, it's like it's like – because this like this this like seemingly like progressive you know agenda in Hollywood seems to be actually backfiring in terms of you know political strategy it almost makes me wonder if there's someone even like further back behind the scenes who's like yes like make everyone super sick of of movies you know you know just change the characters in all the movies to things to like upset white people so that they'll vote for republicans you know it's almost like a, like there's somebody who's even further back there who's making that happen but the reality is there's you know if if if, it, if somebody's doing anything i feel like it's just pushing everybody at each other and i don't actually believe that i don't actually believe there's any deliberate conspiracy or there's like another man further back and it turns out the man behind the curtain is actually a woman and you know it's like i feel like you can just take that idea further and further and i don't get into conspiracy theories or anything like that or actually believe it and once again i go back to one of my favorite coat uh, coats one of my favorite jackets no one of my favorite quotes uh my my quote jacket you know I, I have my my mask that i wear when i'm watching television commercials then i have a, a jacket that is covered in my favorite quotes <laughs> i have my favorite quotes stitched into it uh, and i only have one favorite quote though which is why i'm talking about quotes and that's you know history is more a product of chaos than conspiracy and I, i'd say that applies in this sense too, where I feel like all this chaos, like people fighting and arguing, trying to make movies with this kind of statement, and then this group of people just getting so offended that you cast that person, and all of this, I don't feel like that's really anybody like pulling at the puppet strings, making people fight so that they'll ignore something else that's going on over here, so that they can manipulate this. I don't feel like it really is... I, I, just, I don't feel like there is that level of sophistication to to it. Like, I don't feel like all of this stuff is just a, a diversion or a distraction so that somebody can do this and that all the people fighting and all the people arguing are, like, engineered to do it. I feel like that's just kind of what's happened in this information overload in this. It's not just information overload because I feel like that was easy to predict. You know, that was a concern about things like the Internet, the proliferation of you know, printing even, you know, where it's like, oh, we're living in this world of information overload. And we are. I can't argue otherwise. I mean, even my own brain feels like information overload. When you think about the entire world, the entire population, you know, it's the level of information overload on a collective level is just unimaginable. Uh, but I feel like that was an easy prediction. You know, it's not like we look back at Nostradamus and it's like... I predict that there will be, you know, information overload. It's like, oh, who would have thought? You know, of course. You know, it's, at a certain point, it was easy to predict. Uh, but I feel like what wasn't really predicted is uh, the overload of, like, the need to control. You know what I, I'm trying to think of a better way to put it, where it's like, we're overloaded with this like feeling that everything is in our fingertips right now and that we have the ability to control everything like oh well because it used to be like you know oh if i don't like the service at the burger king i can tell the manager and then the new form of that is you know i can uh, i can tweet i can tweet crispy cream 
if I didn't like my donuts this morning and get like free donuts or a refund. You know, there's this idea of like it's all in my fingertip to com- if I don't like the service, I'll complain. If I feel mistreated, I'll complain. And it's like, oh, there's stuff happening politically that I don't like. So it's my job to just constantly harp on it, to constantly push it and to support other things that are pushing that and to fight anything that I even think doesn't mesh with the way I see things, you know, and it's, you know, it's this overload of like, you know, it's just, you know, we're overloaded with the illusion of control, I think is the best way to put it. That's the exact words I was looking for. No, I I really do feel that we are overloaded with the illusion of control and information overload is a part of that because we feel that having that added information gives us more control. It's like that knowledge is power idea. But then, you know, you have these, you know, very wise sage-like people who in turn will tell you, oh, well, everything you need is already inside of you. You know, you actually don't need any more knowledge or information or material possessions. Everything you need is just in you. And, uh, you know, it might take certain influences or prompts to cause you to realize that to make you realize that everything you need is in you. You might not be able to access it all immediately, but the idea is that it's in there. And, you know, I think that's a good, you know, you know I think that's a good one, the, the idea that, like, we don't actually need any additional information, you know, and in some ways, the more information we try to collect, the more we dull our intuition, the more we dull our gut instinct, so in that way, you know, information overload gives us this, like, it's basically allowed us to be these micromanagers who get nothing done. And, I mean, that's one of the common complaints about micromanagers. If you've ever had a boss who's a micromanager, you quickly realize that, oh, we get nothing done. Because they have their hand in everything, they, they slow down every process, they muddy it up, you know, we actually get nothing done because of the amount of micromanaging going on. And when you're trying to micromanage your own life, you realize that you basically hit disruption after disruption. Everything becomes, you know, a roadblock when you try to micromanage your own existence. And I feel like that's what's happening in Hollywood when someone comes up with the ingenious idea of, let's make James Bond a black woman. It's like, no, what you're doing is you're actually trying to micromanage everything. You're trying to micromanage your audience. You're trying to micromanage society in in this way that you know, isn't necessary. I mean, if you feel like you have a strong story to tell, you know, tell it. And I feel like there are a lot there's a lot of potential for great stories about black women, maybe even black female secret agents. But I do feel like making that part of the James Bond brand. And maybe this isn't even true. Maybe I heard a rumor and I've just been going off about a rumor that isn't even true. Maybe I've fallen victim to some sort of, you know, the opposite. Maybe this is this was some sort of rumor created by the right wing to be like, look what they're doing to James Bond. This is a response to Brexit. Because of Brexit, the U.S. has decided that uh, they're going to turn this British, this British icon into a black woman just to get back at all the people who voted for Brexit. That sounds like a reasonable conspiracy theory to me. And and even doing this podcast and even saying this stuff, you know, I don't feel like I've really treaded on any truly dangerous territory in what I've said. I'm basically saying whatever you guys think you're trying to do is backfiring. And I actually feel like I'm saying this with everybody's interest in mind because I don't feel like we need anything else to add to the chaos right now. I don't feel like we need to be throwing more fuel on the fire. And when someone in a boardroom is like, let's, let's make this statement. Let's put our foot down and make this statement. I feel like that's just adding more unnecessary fuel on the fire. And if I'm even commenting on it, I feel like it is relevant. You know, if it's when it comes to things, you know, strange little twists in pop culture, it's easy to dismiss them. And uh, usually I do. But this is one where I'm just like, man, like what you guys are trying to do, you're basically trying to micromanage, you know, the public. And the result is you're going to get nothing done. And you may even hurt yourself. I actually believe you are hurting yourselves when you make, you know, even just a creative decision like that. And I think we should look at examples like Predator and Predator 2. 
Because if someone responds to Predator 2 and says, like, I don't want to watch Predator 2 because they cast a black man in the lead role, you know they're fucked up. You know they're truly a bigot if they won't watch Predator 2 because it has Danny Glover in it. But that's an entirely different story than the one, you know, that's, I feel like, being presented with this new, just this push. This push. Changing James Bond, doing this, you know, trying to play this mixing and matching. You know, that's, that's ultimately what it is. It's like what Alan Watts said about someone trying to rearrange the universe. It's like this person thought that, you know, rearranging the James Bond world is going to, you know, giving them the benefit, the benefit of the doubt, they believe it's going to, like, tell an entertaining story. And that's just giving them the benefit of the doubt. But taking away the benefit of the doubt, and I try to give it to people, but I, I do have to consider... You know, the other alternative, which is what I've been ranting about here, <laughs> but that's that they, they want to, you know, shake things up. They basically had the opportunity to rearrange the James Bond universe, and they thought, you know, I know a way that's going to solve all the world's problems. I know the way that's going to solve, you know, all the problems with the James Bond series. I know how to keep this series alive at the very least, and that's, you know, recasting James Bond as a black woman. And I, I see that, and I'm just like, okay, well, you know, I hope you know what you're doing. And I'm not going to say that what you're doing is like dangerous, you know, but I'm just at the very least, you're actually getting the opposite result of what you're intending, unless your intention is just to create more chaos, unless your intention is to get the current president reelected, in which case you're doing a great job. You're doing a wonderful job. Uh, But I, I don't think that that's actually what these people want. I don't think that that's what these you know filmmakers actually want. I think that they are looking for something else, and they're not going to get it by taking the approach that they have continued to take. And the end result is what I see is two groups of people. There's one group of people who are like, you know, we like this chair where it's at. The chair has always been in this part of the room. It's always been over here. And then there's other, this other group of people who's like, the chair should be over here. More people can sit in the chair. More people can sit in the chair if it's over here. If it's over here, more people can sit in it. It's been over there for too long, and not everybody has a chance to sit in that chair. And then the first group is like, yeah, but where you moved it to is it directly in the sunlight, and I'm going to break a sweat if I sit in that chair. Everybody who sits in that chair is going to break a sweat. Why'd you put it in the sunlight? You should move it back over here. And then... You know, the the second group begins like, well, uh, you know, some people, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how to take that chair discussion any further, but it really does go back to Alan Watts's idea of rearranging the universe where it's basically like mixing and matching. How can we make the world a better place where it's like, oh, let's change James Bond's race. How can we tell a better story? Let's change James Bond. To me, that's very much like rearranging the furniture and it actually doesn't solve any problem and actually creates an argument where it doesn't need to exist, which adds to the chaos. And maybe that truly is what the universe is, because I'm not interested in rearranging the universe. I'm just trying to kind of, if not understand the universe, then at least accept the universe. And I think in doing that, you know, you realize that, you know, part of the universe is this element of chaos that we are constantly falling back into and out of. And to me, it's like, why contribute to the chaos, you know? more than you have to because in being a human being and being a conflicted bag of whatever the hell we are you know there is going to be a level of chaos that we inevitably contribute to the world just by simply existing by thinking by moving by going out in the world we contribute to some of that chaos but why contribute unnecessarily why decide to rearrange something that doesn't necessarily need to be arranged solely for the statement that it can be Because that's what's being communicated is this can be changed, so let's change it, you know. And if someone feels that that's the necessary move toward creating a classic story, a memorable story, it doesn't have to be classic, whatever the fuck, what does classic even mean? Uh, If someone wants to do that to create a memorable story or if they feel like it's going to, you know, impact the world in some substantial way, I'm not someone who can tell them not to do that. But I can observe, and my observation is that it's having the opposite of the intended effect, and it's doing nothing but contributing to the chaos. Can you move that chair over there? 
let's just put the chair, let's cut the chair in half. Let's get all King Solomon about it. Let's just get rid of the entire franchise. I mean, it's almost like my attitude towards uh, the bathroom situation. You know, I, I'm so current. I start talking about the bathroom situation like three years too late. But it kind of goes back to like my whole situation with the bathroom where I'm like, you know, I don't want women to use men's restrooms. I don't want men to use women's restrooms. In fact, I don't think anybody should use anybody's restrooms. I believe every restroom should be single occupancy and anybody should be able to use it as long as it's, you know, unlocked and open and nobody's in there. That's my only standard for bathrooms is everybody should be able to use any bathroom, but only one person should be in there at a time. And the amount of money that it would cost to build single single occupancy bathrooms would probably be balanced out in the amount of time and money that's been spent just arguing over bathrooms and discussing them. Uh, so I think that's the better idea. And I'd say the same applies to James Bond, where instead of, you know, arguing over whether James Bond should be a white British man or a black American woman or what, I don't even know what the actual... I don't know what the story really is. But instead of, you know, arguing over that, I'd rather just, there just not even be a James Bond. That's sort of how I feel about it. Once these things become too much of a hot-button issue, I'm just like, let's just not even have that thing. You know, why don't we just kill off James Bond? Let's have James Bond crash a plane into, the, you know, the World Trade Center Memorial. You know, and then we let's try to figure him out then. You know, let's try to decide whether he's a good guy or a bad guy or whatever he is or good, good whatever, good person. Let's not even reveal James Bond's gender or race in the new movie. Let's just have the movie start out with a plane flying through the air, and it's implied or said even explicitly that James Bond is flying the plane. Then the plane just crashes into the World Trade Center memorial. We never see what James Bond looked like. We never hear him addressed using any pronouns. We never see him. We don't have any idea what James Bond looked like. We only know that he crashed that plane or she, whatever. We know that James Bond crashed that plane and that's all that's important. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children can run free So take my hand and walk this land with me and